Titus 2, beginning in verse 1. Let's hear the word of our God. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. All right, may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. <clears throat> Amen. Well, this morning, part of uh, what we saw there in Psalm 117, is uh, we talked about believers being on the outside looking in. And as we take that thought and combine it with some of the things that I just read here in Titus 2, we, as Christians, need to make uh, the Christian message and way of life so enticing that the unbelievers on the outside looking in are going to want to be a part of the truth. One major way that they are drawn in is how we live as Christian families. If we are strangers in our own homes, if we act like the world, if we are entertained by some of the same things as unbelievers, if we are just as enslaved to social media as they, if we get into fights, if there are sexual sins, if our tongues get us into trouble with gossip and slander and so forth, then how are the unbelievers on the outside going to want to be a part of the church? On the other hand, if we love one another, if we care for one another, if we strive to be different, if we strive to be holy and set apart, then they're going to be drawn to this, especially as our culture falls apart, especially as more and more people are in broken relationships, broken homes, and, and so on and so forth. If they see something more stable and permanent and good, they're going to be drawn toward that. If, however, we have this holier-than-thou mentality, if we are judgmental, if we are critical, if we are cult-like, if our children are unruly, they're not going to want to be a part of things here. If we add to the gospel, if we add to the scripture, if we add to the law, if we don't show hospitality, and some of the other things that Paul's been talking about here, they're not going to want to anything to do with Jesus. But if we have sound theology, if we have sound living, then they are going to want to be a part of things. Now, I'm not denying election here, 
And nor is Paul. Of course, he's the one that's saying these things and why it leads me to say what I'm saying. Um, the point is, how we live will either draw people in or push them away. It will convince them, hey, there's something to this Jesus, or it'll convince them that they don't want anything to do with this Jesus stuff. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I'm speaking generally. Here more specifically to this passage. These ideas can be said then for each person in the home and how that person or that age group, if you will, will behave. If the older men in the homes are sober and honorable and sober-minded, if they are sound in the faith, if they are sound in their love for God and others, if they are patiently awaiting the return of Christ, and this is a great witness to the watching world. Plus, of course, it's a great blessing for the family. And so the children are going to see these things, and grandchildren and so forth, and they are going to be inclined to accept the things of Christ and not reject them. They'll be inclined to be Isaacs and not Esau's, for example. But if older men do the opposite, if they drink too much, if they act like crazy clowns, if they don't think carefully, if they have doubts about God and their love is selfishness, if they do not look expectantly to Christ's coming, then the homes will be harmed. Unbelievers will ignore the call to believe in Jesus and the church in general will suffer. Now the same can be said here, broadly speaking, <clears throat> to the older women, to the younger women, to the younger men, and to the slaves. And that's, of course, what uh, Paul is going to address here in this section. How we live at home is a huge witness, good or bad. So with that in mind, <clears throat> let me then turn the thought briefly in this way. I mentioned and started this conversation last time about household codes. And my emphasis last week is that this was uh, something common. Uh, in fact, every culture has household codes. Every house has its own code. And so whether you're talking about the Greek ones or the Roman ones or the Cretan ones or an American code, uh, it, 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 it's something we would expect to see. Now, let me boil it down into a very local and, and uh, individual level here. You know, some people, you go to their house, <clears throat> maybe you've grown up in one or have one or whatever. Uh, the code is you have to take your shoes off at the door. Can't wear them in the house. Brings in all kinds of uh, dirt and junk and germs and so on. Or, or uh, in some houses, you have to wash your own clothes. You can't leave it up just for mom to do. Um, in some houses, the code is you leave the toilet seat up. For others, you leave it down. <laughs> for some, the toilet paper goes one way and the others, it goes a different way. Or you squeeze the toothpaste or you roll the toothpaste. I mean, you, you get the point. These are kind of everyday kinds of codes, but these are things that we have in our homes and we live accordingly. Now, let me give you just a few in our house. Okay. <clears throat> One of the codes that we have is no singing at the dinner table. We sing maybe for our prayer and then we're done. We have all the children like to sing and uh, they have rather big voices, 
And so if we let them sing, then we can't hear anything, you know. And so this is a code that we have come up with in our home. Uh, another code is that we pray as a family before bed or when we're going somewhere. We always pray. And we have <clears throat> it set up that the oldest child starts. So if everybody's home, Nathaniel's first, then Anna, and then Emma, and then Matthew, then Noah, and then it turns to Nalene and then myself. Though if we're driving, then the driver usually doesn't pray. Um, but this is just a code that we have. And we've done it that way so the younger children can learn how to pray and so forth. On our way to church here on Sundays, we also have our little catechism question that we do on the way to help prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Uh, another code that we have is we need to clean our plates at dinner time. Okay? We can't leave food. We can't be throwing food away unless it's spoiled or something like that. And you can't have dessert unless you have eaten all your food. Um, throughout the week at different times, we talk about what we've learned in Sunday school and in the sermons and so forth. Uh, one of the key things that we do is we teach our children how to think, not just what to think. And these are just a few codes. And by the way, toilet seat is down in our house, you know. <laughs> okay. But think about this for yourselves. Every one of you have grown up in a home with certain codes. Sometimes they are talked about, sometimes they aren't. But we all have household codes. Now, Paul is not this detailed, at least for most of what he says here. Uh, he speaks more of character qualities than he does on uh, particular things like I have just done. Okay? He began, of course, with the older men. And uh, as we talked about last time, these... Uh, uh, character qualities apply to all of us as Christians, not just to the older men. But nevertheless, if we start with the oldest in the home, then it does tend to trickle down to everyone else. And so Paul moves now from the older men to the older women. And so let's read then verse 3 again. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. All right. Older women, likewise. Note the adverb there. Likewise, in the same way, according to what we see with the older men, so the older women are to act in the same way. And so Paul here is still talking about the oldest generation. Okay. And here now, in particular, the oldest generation of women and how they ought to live. They must live in a sound way, right? Remember verse 1. Remember I talked about last week, sound doctrine here is not so much lining up your doctrinal ducks, but your doctrinal living, if you will. And that's his emphasis here. They go hand in hand. And so <clears throat> when Paul says likewise, he's saying here, first of all, we have the same doctrinal standards, we have the same moral standards for older men and older women. And it's also that it's the same age uh, range. You might remember from last week I said in that first century, older men were 50 and up. Well, it's the same idea for women. 50 and up were uh, considered older women. Um, in our culture today, it, it kind of depends um, 
if you're trying not to offend anybody, you might not even talk about it. But uh, older women, you might think of menopause age and up or possibly retirement age and up. Um, and certainly, just as we have some older men in our congregation, we have some older women in our congregation that fall into this category. All right, now, notice that Paul gives two positive things and two negative things here uh, in, in this list. So, first of all, he says they must be reverent in behavior. <clears throat> this is referring, obviously, to their manner of life. Uh, it includes their demeanor. Uh, but primarily their behavior must be reverent. It must be godly. Now, the New King James uh, uses the word reverent for the older men in the previous verse. Now we have the word reverent here for the older women, uh, but they are actually two different words in the Greek. Uh, so, of course, I, when you have that, I always like to use a different word for translation. Um, but if you're going to have the same word, uh, just recognize that they are slightly different in meaning, but they are very similar. It seems like this word is emphasizing more the life behavior, whereas in verse 2, it seems to be the deportment, the demeanor, the, uh, uh, those ideas for the men. All right, now, <clears throat> as we evaluate this thought in, in the context of our own culture, what do we often see among older people, the older generation? This certainly does not apply to everyone, but it does apply quite a bit in, in our culture, and that is the older generation is trying to be young again. And we see this in a variety of ways. Okay? They try to act like they're in their 20s again, or a teenager, or something like that. They try to be cool, or hip, or, you know, whatever term they might want to use. And so you'll see people in the, this older generation, women included, getting a tattoo or trying to talk like the kids do or they try to do things to be attractive. Okay. <clears throat> what was it, a couple weeks ago or something? You know, they have all these award shows going on right now. Um, and I think it was the Grammys. I, know, I can't keep track of them all. But uh, there was a big response to how Madonna looked. Maybe you heard some about this. And I've always thought, you know, Madonna's um, uh, an attractive woman. You know, she has been for years. You might not like her music or her lifestyle, <laughs> and I would agree with that. Um, but she's always been an attractive woman. But she's done all these things here recently to try to stay young. And now I think she looks quite uh, not so good. I'll put it that way. I saw an article here the other day with Jane Fonda, too. Yeah, she was always a, a beautiful woman for, for years, and she's done all these things, facial reconstruction, this, that, and the other. I think she looks kind of dumb, if you will. Um, but it's sad. But this is where we are in our culture. The older generation is trying to remain young instead of aging gracefully, instead of being... Uh, if you will, proud of the hoary hairs, as we sing about, right? Instead, they try to stay young. Paul doesn't say anything about this, does he? He's not saying, okay, you older people, try to act like you're in your 20s. Uh, no, he's basically saying, let's age well. Let's act our age. Let's be reverent in our behavior. 
has to be respectable. And of course, here he's specifically talking about the older women, but certainly it applies to us all. Hey, be godly in your older age. Be a good example of what an older woman is supposed to be like. And so don't act like the culture. Okay. Act in a godly manner. All right, now, <clears throat> the next one that he gives us is a negative one, right? Not slanderers. Now, the word here for slander is the word for devil. Diabolos is the Greek word here, and so we get diabolical and related words, right? Um, and so to slander means to act like Satan, uh, to, to say things that are false, to damage someone's reputation. Obviously, we're talking about the use of the tongue, the use of words here. Uh, I don't think we should just limit it to the idea of slander in the narrow sense. But gossip would be included here. Those are the unverified reports or partial truths that are uh, spread around. We can talk about backbiting and whisperings and things like that. And, you know, for, for many of us, it starts off as, as a innocent or even good idea, right? Well, we need to talk about this situation or this person so that we can pray for them, right? And it can so easily degenerate into gossip and even slander. And, of course, many of us like to be in the know. And so we, we just want to make sure we know what's going on, and, and we justify that with uh, ourselves and really what we're doing is using our tongues like Satan does. Now, in our culture, the tongue has, for the most part, turned into our fingertips. And what I mean here is so much of this is done on social media anymore. Many rude and hurtful and untrue and partially true things are spewed forth on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so on and so forth. You know, when you can't see a person, it's a whole lot easier to say something mean about them, or at least not care enough to know if it's actually true. If somebody's standing in front of you, well, you tend to be a bit more careful on the things that you say. But in social media, the tongue, as it were, wags diabolically very easily. I saw an article here just the other day. Uh, another young girl killed herself because of the screed on social media that was spewed forth about her. And this has very real-world implications. Older women, don't become a virtual devil. Okay? Speaking words of harm through cyberspace is something we should avoid. Once again, this isn't just limited to older women. All of us should keep this in mind. Okay. So uh, just be careful. I, I'm not saying you can't use social media. But I will say that it's hard to say even good things on social media because so many people misunderstand. They don't read carefully. They assume the words. You can't hear the tone of voice. And emojis don't always communicate what you're actually thinking. But, you know, even if you're talking on the phone or if you're talking to someone in person, the point is very simply this. Paul is saying, older women, control your tongues. Okay? And again, this is true for all believers. 
Let's turn back a few uh, pages here to 1 Timothy 3. And obviously, um, the connections here with elders and deacons are, are many. But note especially this one now, First, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 11. It says, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. You see how very similar those words are to the deacons' wives, as Paul now is saying here to the older women in Crete. All right, so a few thoughts here about this one. The next one now, back in Titus, uh, verse 3. The next negative here is not given too much wine. Now, in the Greek, the word, the verb there, actually is the verb for a slave, to be enslaved. And so a more literal translation would be something like not being enslaved to wine. Now, let me say this first. Um, the two negatives that he mentions here, not slanderers and now not enslaved to wine, maybe he emphasizes these two because those were problems in Crete. Um, certainly, these are issues that we should talk about just in general. And, uh, you know, so maybe he's just speaking generally. But it's also possible that they were unique uh, needs there and issues in the Cretan church. All right, so as for alcohol, obviously this can enslave a person. It can trap a person. Um, obviously it affects the body and so forth. You get a buzz, you get drunk, and you start doing stupid things. Uh, it can enslave you and lead to all kinds of problems. Um, the, the list really is endless. But you know, the alcoholic culture can enslave you too. Even if you never go too far and drink too much, if you're part of an alcoholic culture or an alcoholic personality, that can enslave you as well. You know, the culture surrounding alcohol in our culture uh, broadly is that it's cool, it's rebellious, and it's fun. Okay. Now, in the first century, remember I've talked about the new Roman woman and uh, that was basically the feminism of the day. And one of the things that they were advocating for is that women could, uh, it could be more socially acceptable for them to drink and even to get drunk. And so they would push that. And so they were pushing for a new culture that women could be rebellious too. Uh, and Paul's saying, don't do that. It enslaves you. Not just the alcohol itself, but the attitude that is associated with it. In the church, we have... Many times, people talking about Christian liberty. And I can use my Christian liberty to drink. Well, okay, fair enough. It's not wrong to have alcohol. But even in the church, you often hear this junior high attitude about, oh, it's so cool to have a beer at, at, at you know, whatever, the ball game or at a restaurant or something like that. It's like, well, okay, but why do we have to make it sound like the culture? But we can even expand upon this and refer to any substance, not just alcohol, that can enslave us. And so don't be enslaved to caffeine. Don't be enslaved to pain pills or even supplements. Don't become enslaved to legal and illegal drugs. Now, granted, some people, medically speaking, need to have certain medicines. Um... But I think it's far less than we 
uh, are doing in our culture. It's true for some, but not necessarily as much as the pharmaceutical companies and doctors want us to take. Um, we could expand even beyond this, beyond drugs and alcohol. We can refer to any other addiction that enslaves us. For some people, it's entertainment. You have to be in the know and go to the latest movie or you know whatever it is. For others, it's uh, thrill-seeking. For others, it's work. For others, it's sexual things. But whatever addiction it is, don't be enslaved by it. Obviously, Paul here is emphasizing alcohol, but we can expand the thought beyond that. So let's turn a moment to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> you remember these words of Paul here in Ephesians 5. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, again, it's not forbidding alcohol, it's saying not be drunk. All right. But note the contrast. The contrast is being controlled by alcohol versus being controlled by the Spirit. And so we could put it this way. Don't be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit. So again, even if it's caffeine or some legal drug or whatever, don't be controlled by these things. Be controlled by the Spirit instead. Again, I'm not saying we can't take any medicines. I'm not saying we can't have alcohol. But don't be controlled by these things, by any addiction. Because... If you're not controlled by the Spirit, how can you, verse 19, speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? How can you give thanks always, verse 20? How can you submit to one another, verse 21? If you're controlled by something other than the Spirit, you're not going to be doing these other things. And so, this is true for us all. Paul's emphasizing the older women here. Okay. Notice also, then, this final point in this context as you come back to, to Titus notice that he puts the tongue and alcohol side by side okay not surprising um, the tongue and alcohol uh, are usually a very bad mix so as older women uh, age and they have less responsibilities in the mothering category uh, or even working becomes less and less. Again, time becomes an enemy. Too much time in our hands can lead to many problems. And so Paul speaks to this end. All right, now, <clears throat> as we apply these to older women, let's apply it to all of ourselves. But as we look at the last one, and as it spills into verse 4, it becomes very specific, okay? especially as we're in verse 4. The end of verse 3 says, teachers of good things. And then verse 4, that they admonish the young women. And so Paul becomes, uh, not just anybody should live this way, <laughs> but now specifically the older women. And so first of all, teachers of good things. Instead of using excess time and uh, excess uh, aspects of life here that you don't have when you're younger. Uh, don't use those things to use your tongues to do sinful things. Don't use those, uh, those uh, 
opportunities just to be squandered by sitting in front of the television or on your your phone all the time and wasting it. Instead, use that time, use your tongues to teach good things. Obviously, we've been talking about sound doctrine into chapter 1 and here even the beginning of chapter 2. Teach the things that are good and right. Teach how to avoid false teaching, to, to, to be aware of it and how to avoid it and such. Teach what is true. Teach sound living. Okay. Older women, teach how to avoid the Cretan culture or the American culture here for us. Teach people how to be godly. Model good behavior. Even if you don't use your tongues, model it at home. And that's the primary emphasis here, but also model it at the church. Now, you might remember last week I mentioned that uh, in the first century, it was very common for extended families to live together. And so you would have parents, but also very many times grandparents, even great-grandparents, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, even aunts and uncles. Or it was not uncommon to have the extended family living together, or at least very close to each other. Okay, you talk about Sarah's tent and Abraham's tent, you know, just a few feet away from each other or something like that. Um, in our culture, for the most part, we do not have extended families living together. Now, as more and more illegal immigrants come into our country, we might see that more and more, um, because we do see that in other parts of the world. Um, But whether we live in the same house or not, the point is that the older women are to teach. They are to teach good things, whether it's on the phone or coming over for a visit or tucking the grandchildren into bed or whatever it is. This is the idea. And now, as we bring in the first part of verse 4, it's very specified. They are to teach younger women especially. Let's turn back a moment to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you may recall when I preached through this passage, I spent a fair amount of time trying to explain this carefully. And in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And now Paul is saying that the older women are to teach the younger women. So it's consistent in that way, whether he's speaking to uh, Timothy or now he's speaking to Titus. This is uh, the primary idea here is Uh, The issue of authority. Uh, I'm not sure it's uh, completely forbidden for a woman to make some kind of educational discussion or point with men in the room. But if there's authority there, if there's a regular kind of teaching capacity, Paul here seems to be speaking against that. Uh, Just broadly, not just uh, in the church. So, uh, primarily then, uh, the women, the older women, are to teach other women, they're to teach younger women, they're to teach children. Now, the word here for, uh, that we see in, in the beginning of verse 4, admonish is how the New King James puts it. Uh, it. It has the idea of instruction, 
uh, but it's actually the verb form for sober-minded. So you remember back in chapter 1, we saw there in verse 8, the word sober-minded. Uh, we saw even just last week in verse 2, older men are to be sober, reverent, temperate. That's temperate, remember, that's the same word for sober-minded. Well, here it is again, but now as a verb. And so the older women are to be sober-minded as they teach younger women and to teach them to be sober-minded. And so to be sober-minded in this instruction, in this advising and training and encouraging and so forth. And so um, this is the idea, right? To think wisely, to think carefully. Now, do you see how Paul is doing that? He does not say older men... Teach good things to younger women. He doesn't say younger men, or even Titus, teach good things to younger women. Do you see the wisdom here? It is wise for pastors and elders and younger men not to teach younger women. Now, we can do it here in this public forum, but certainly not uh, in a more personal, private way. Uh, propriety issues obviously are very important, and Paul is assuming that by the way uh, he, he gives these commands. Add to that, uh, there are at least certain topics that can be very awkward for a woman to receive from a man. I was uh, watching a show that um, had uh, a young woman who had been raped, and the police officer, man, came first to ask her questions. He seemed to do a nice job, but she didn't want to share with him. So he went and got the female cop, and then this young woman who had been raped uh, spoke to the female cop. You know, some things are awkward. Some things are uncomfortable. Um, so that's part of it. But probably for Paul, the biggest issue here is propriety. Um, but whatever the reason, his primary point is that the older women are to teach younger women. They are to be godly, and so teach in that way. They are to teach maybe in a more formal setting, but they are to teach the younger women to do likewise. And so they are not to follow the new Roman woman ideals and the feminism and so forth there of the first century, and then they are to teach the younger women in the same way. All right, so <clears throat> what we see here are some more characteristics some more actions that should mark off God's people. And to go back to what I said earlier, these kinds of things should characterize our household codes. They should characterize this house, the church household code. And of course, as God's people, we should live in such a way that it will be enticing to the unbelievers around us and not push them away. Paul hasn't come right out and said that yet, but we will see it here very soon in this section. And so um, let's uh, seek to abide by this. May God help us. May God enable especially the older women here in these ways, but certainly may help us all. All right, so we'll finish here then tonight, and we'll talk more about the younger women next time. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for <clears throat> your word to us. We thank you for um, some of these practical things, if you will. And uh, we do pray, Lord, for the older women in our congregation. We pray, Lord, that you would 
uh, enable them to do these good things and to avoid these sinful things. Uh, We pray that for the sake of their homes. We pray that for the sake of our church. We pray that for uh, the sake of the unbelievers around us, that they would look at the older women in our congregation and uh, be, if you will, intrigued by the truth and not be turned off by it. We pray, Lord, for your mercies in this way. We pray for these things for all of us, uh, not just the older women. We pray, Lord, that uh, this generational training uh, would also uh, take place in our homes and uh, that you would um, bring about godliness for generations to come. Uh, We pray for your your grace in it all and uh, your goodness and uh, we pray that in all these things, your name would be exalted. And we pray then in Jesus' name. Amen.